Welcome back to the Apostate Report. My name is Trey Harris. Thank you for joining me this evening. As you saw in the title, um, rather bold, we're going to be talking about how the road to hell is paved for many through the work that is being done in the seeker-friendly movement. We're going to start off with this story right here. So let's go over here. That way you guys can see what I'm talking about. Pull this up on the big screen for you guys. So let's see. We'll switch that over. Now, if you'll look up top, one of the things you'll notice is that this is a Babylon Bee story. Now, when I first read this story and it popped up in my inbox, I did not know that. On a serious note, though, it did really freak me out when I saw it, but I probably should have known by the title that that was what was going on. So let's go down here so you guys can see the actual story. All right, Nashville, Tennessee, in an explosive interview with local entertainment reporters, vocalist Kevin Max, formerly of the band DC Talk, has revealed he is no longer a, quote, Jesus freak, but more of a, quote, spiritual, but not religious freak. Yeah, man, I still believe in God and all that, said Max, but I'm no longer an evangelical. You might say I've cut myself clean from a past that comes back to my darkest of dreams. Been apprehended by a spiritual force, but more of an undefined, universal spiritual force. You know what I mean? Max went on to say he has struggled with his faith, which has evolved into something more spiritual but not religious. He confessed he has wondered what people would think in spite of his, fa- his falling away from his evangelical past. He stated he has thankfully not lost his ability to sing ho, ho, ho and make it sound really cool in a song. Quote, you might say I'm a bit of a freak, but no longer a Jesus one. More of an undefined spiritual cosmic energy, spiritual cosmic energy of universal love kind of freak. It's just this journey I'm on. When asked if he has any regrets, he responded that he really wished he hadn't got a Jesus Saves tattoo on his belly. Now, if you are not familiar with the Babylon Bee, Sorry, guys, my lighting is messing up here. And I also apologize for the harp. That button is so touchy. Let's turn that off for now. Um, if you're not familiar with what the Babylon Bee is, it is a satire site. And so they are clearly digging into the irony of the fact that this man once sang the song Jesus Freak, but now has a song that says, Jesus, I love you, but your followers freak me out. So we have a big, big, big change. And then what I want you to see is the story that this is actually based off of. And this is from the counterpart to the Babylon Bee, not the Bee, which is not a satire site, but it's more of an opinion-based journalist site. The Unfolding Tragedy of Exvangelicalism. Now, this story is a little long, so I'm actually going to switch this way and read this one on the big screen because I'm going to have to scroll through it for you. All right. 
Kevin Max, this story is by Peter Heck, by the way. Kevin Max, the Grammy award-winning singer from the band DC Talk, has become the latest prominent Christian to announce his departure from evangelicalism. That is, the belief salvation is received by grace alone through faith in Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection. Here is a tweet that Kevin Max put out on May fifteenth, 2021, that says, Hello, my name is Kevin Max, and I am... I'm an hashtag exvangelical. For the uninitiated, exvangelical is the catchy term that those walking away from the doctrines of Protestant evangelicalism use to describe themselves. Many of these individuals, spurred by traumatic experiences or teachings in their conservative church upbringing, gravitate towards progressive Christianity, which sadly often serves as nothing but a transitory bridge to their eventual rejection of the Christian faith entirely. We have seen it time and time and time again. We have Joshua Harris, the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, walking away from his faith. We have Rhett and Link, the prominent YouTubers, getting rich, walking away from their faith. We have the Hillsong singer walking away from his faith. Recently, somebody from the Desiring God ministry run by John Piper walking away from from their faith. And as we're going to get into later in the in a later segment of the podcast, we're going to see why that is. Jesus predicted all of this in multiple passages, and we're going to take a look at that. Let's continue, but we we just you know, this is exactly what happens. People start deconstructing their faith and they eventually walk away from it altogether. Former mega minister Rob Bell, former Desiring God author Paul Maxwell, former best-selling author Joshua Harris, and former Hillsong worship musician Marty Sampson are just a few who recently walked the, quote, deconstructing path now embraced by Max. While alarming and disappointing, the phenomenon is anything but surprising either biblically or culturally, the pressure to conform to the patterns of the world have never been stronger than it is today. And I suppose that it is even more intense in the entertainment world in which Max has tried so desperately for so long to make a name for himself. To be completely transparent, I admit battling feelings of indignation and exasperation with this emerging trend. In an era where social media has made victimization a profitable enterprise, where even multimillionaires claim some identity politics agreed status, and where anyone and everyone is encouraged to, quote, shout their trauma. We have incentivized exaggerated accounts of mistreatment and suffering. It reeks of dishonesty and breeds slander. And worst of all, it cheapens actual abuse. By the way, slander is one of the definitions of the word Satan, uh, just for those who didn't know. In other words, while being sexually molested by a minister is criminal traumatic abuse, sitting through sermons that preach the Christian sexual ethic is not. Being denied an elder position because you are black is racist, but hearing the unbiblical teaching of critical race theory exposed is not. Sunday school teachers saying that voting Democrat sends you to hell is pointlessly provocative, but your church is making public position, public its position on the sanctity of human life in the womb is not. Lumping all these together as examples of the quote trauma inherent in the evangel- in evangelicalism is as ignorant as it is 
common among the evangelical crowd. So what he is saying is being being abused by a minister is abuse. Sitting through a sermon about sexual purity is not abuse. Being denied a position because of your race is abuse. It is racist. But but denouncing critical race theory is not. And for those of you who don't know, there are people who propagate the Marxist ideology of critical race theory. And then to their to the people that stand up for this and say this is wrong, they say, well, you're just a racist. So what Mr. Heck is getting at here is he's going through and he is breaking down the straw man argument that these rich white liberals that call themselves Christians use to justify why they don't believe the Bible anymore. And it's ridiculous what they are doing. And it's pathetic, if you ask me. It's pathetic to sit there in these fancy clothes it's pathetic to sit there above all these people with all this money and all this influence and preach about being traumatized by the, quote, narrow-mindedness of people. I mean, I'm sorry, that, and I'm, I really am heartbroken that people don't understand their Bible nor have a desire enough to open it and read it and not question it, but rather submit to what the Word of God says. So, let me find out where we were. Still, despite the frustration, my greatest desire is to get these brothers and sisters back. I want those who experience real pain to find healing in Christ alone. And I want those who have feigned mistreatment in order to justify their conformity to man-made religions, i.e. wokeism, LGBT, LGBT ideology, etc., to shake the scales from their eyes and return home. Which means we Christians have to do the hard work of engagement rather than dismissal. We have to commit to doing battle with, quote, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What do those pretensions look like? Take what the former DC Talk frontman wrote about his own deconstruction. Kevin Mack says, quote, I believe in a God of the universe, and I believe that he can hear me, and that in and that in itself is just plain kind of crazy. But if I believe that, then I truly believe that he cares about my progression and, and asking questions and wanting to know. What is real and what isn't real? Max is absolutely correct. There is a God. He is there. He is listening. And he does care infinitely more than any of us could imagine or express. And because he cares so intently for us, he has done the unthinkable. He has inspired, protected, shielded, and transmitted into our fallible hands his infallible, perfectly preserved, divinely delivered word in every generation fools clamor that if only God would perform some miracle offer some kind of undeniable evidence of his existence his authority his investment in humanity they would put their faith in him they demand a supernatural experience in order to believe all while denying themselves that very thing by refusing to simply pick up a copy of scripture and encounter their creator personally. Consider Max as a prime example of this. Acknowledge, after acknowledging that God surely cares about his questions and doubts, the singer goes on to reject God's effort 
to answer them. I quote, I don't think that the God I believe in is going to just all of a sudden ignore me because I don't believe every single word that's written down somewhere. And in brackets, it says in the Bible. Even though scripture says, and of course, this won't do any good for people that don't believe it, but it says that every doctrine, let's pull that up real quick. Let's head over here. Ah, man, I cannot believe I just did that. Actually, yes, I can. So, just pull that back up. All right. So, All right, we're going to read this out of the King James. Get rid of that garbage. All right. So this is what Mr. Max says. Let's go back to that second quote and read that again. He says, quote, I don't think that I believe the God I believe in. There's his first problem, the God he believes in, is going to just all of a sudden ignore me because I don't believe every single word that is written down somewhere. So... We have a man who doesn't want to believe in the the absolute truth of the scriptures, but then is going to have like act like he has some belief that is based in some sort of truth. It's actually ridiculous once you think about it. Second Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, the Anustas, if I remember correctly, um, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So we actually have a shirt. Um, here, my family does. It is uh, the Course Correction Radio shirt. And this is the verse that is on the back of that shirt. Because all Scripture, front to back, is given by the inspiration of God. It is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. And so to deny a, one bit of it is to deny it all. And it's not just it's not just Kevin Max. You have people like, for those of you who have been around the Hebrew Roots movement, you have people like Michael Rood that says there's a verse in John that doesn't, believe, that doesn't belong in the Bible. You have people like Monty Judah who says we need to throw out the entire book of Hebrews because he doesn't understand how it matches up to the book of Exodus. And so people say, I don't understand it, so we'll just throw it out. It's ridiculous. It really is. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic, and it's heartbreaking that people would deny themselves the true power of God's Word. The Bible is so much better than we have been told in church, and I blame the seeker-friendly movement by and large because they're the ones who want to water down the gospel instead of going out there and preaching the gospel to the nations like Jesus tells us to. They want to bring the world in there, give them free coffee, and a bunch of wannabe YouTube bands and have nothing change. It's just silly. The article goes on to say, It isn't a question of God ignoring Kevin. By his own rejection of the inerrancy of Scripture, it is Kevin choosing to ignore God. And that is the tragic error of evangelicalism. 
in their alleged pursuit of truth, these confused souls turn to the wide path that leads them further and further away from its only source. Any hope of winning them back begins right there. And we're going to look because the scriptures they choose to deny parts of told us this would happen. So we're going to take a break. We're going to go to our first break, and we will be right back here on the Apostate Report to talk about what Jesus had to say on these very subjects. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Huge shout-out to our sponsor, NowYouSeeTV.org, for allowing us to partner with them. Guys, if you want to get topics that the church is not talking about, head over to NowYouSeeTV.org. That's N-Y-S-T-V.org, and use the promo code, all caps, CCR, for your first 30 days free. That's all caps, CCR, for your first 30 days. 30 days free. All the way from Genesis chapter 1. Remember, let us make man in our image. God needed someone to show the world what he looked like, or else he would have just been a concept. God would have been an abstract theory. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Has there ever been a more profound statement? That was, uh, the first one was Pastor Stephen Furtick out of Elevation Church, and then that was followed by um, one of R.C. Sproul's more memorable Comments Now, ironically, I can recommend neither one of those to you because I think they both have serious, fatal flaws in their theology. However, um, I could not resist throwing that R.C. Sproul uh, comment in there because he's absolutely right. That is the problem with the Christian church today. We as a whole do not know who God is, and I think that is the key to why we see people like Kevin Max being, or I shouldn't say being, that's not the right way to put it. That's why we see people like Kevin Max be uh, able to come out and say, hi, my name is Kevin Max, and I'm an hashtag exvangelical. They can come out and say they believe in a universal Christ, which, is, by the way, is... uh. Yeah, we're talking um, Antichrist proportions with that belief. So um, let's get into this real quick because we're not just going to single Kevin Max out. Earlier uh, in the first segment, we mentioned a few other names, Joshua Harris, um, a guy from Hillsong, a bunch of others. So we're going to take a look at their stories as well. So let's flip this over here so we can read this together. This is from CBN News, and I think we've used them in the past on the Apostate Report. Our first two Apostate Reports, by the way, if you have not seen them, you can find them on our Brideon channel, Course Correction Radio. 
so you can find those. They're audio only, but uh, there's good there's good stuff up there for you. So this is what it says: author Joshua Harris, the author of "I Kiss Dating Goodbye," kisses his faith goodbye. "Quote: I am." Not a Christian, Joshua Harris, author of the popular evangelical bestseller, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which he has since denounced, declared Friday he has bid adieu to his Christian faith. Days after announcing via Instagram he and his wife would be permanently separating, Harris, known in the early 2000s as something of a relationship guru, said he is, quote, not a Christian anymore. This is his Instagram post. My heart is full of gratitude. I wish I could see all the messages people sent me after the announcement of my divorce. They are expressions of love, though they are saddened or even strongly disapprove of the decision. I am learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week I received grace from Christians Atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, and everyone in between. Of course, there have also been strong words of rebuke from religious people. While not always pleasant, I know they are seeking to love me. Parenthetical, it says, there have also been spiteful, hateful comments that angered and hurt me. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this. But I'm not there now. Martin Luther said that the entire life of believers should be repentance. There's a beauty in that sentiment regardless of your view of God. I have lived in repentance for the, last, for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my view of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now, to the LGBT plus, LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming you and your place in the church. And for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry. I hope you can forgive me. To my Christian friends, I am grateful for your prayers. Don't take it personally if I don't immediately return calls. I can't join in your mourning. I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive and awake and surprisingly hopeful. I believe with my sister Julian that all shall be well. And all manner of things shall be well. The now controversial author said that he is receptive to a different way to practice faith, though he admitted though he is admittedly, quote, not there now. Harris also used the post to issue an apology. We already read all that. Uh, Harris suggested his falling away from Christianity played a role in his and his wife's decision to separate, a decision he announced last week. What else? Last fall, the 44-year-old author and pastor dis- decried his past writing, saying, quote, 
no longer agree with its central idea that dating should be avoided, referring to his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, which was popular in conservative Christian circles. So I, I think you guys get the gist with this story. Now, here's the thing. Um, there, uh, was, there was some things with Kevin Max's, um, with his deconstruction, where he put some of the things that he believed, and it was, um, for the equality of LGBTQIA, I think is what he called it, whatever that means. Um, and I'm, I'm, I just don't know. So I'm, I'm not trying to intentionally be disrespectful to anybody. I just don't know. I can't keep up with all the stuff they keep adding to it. <clears throat> Here's the simple fact of the matter. It doesn't matter what I think or what you think. What simply matters is what does this book say about these things. Now, Jesus said he came not to bring peace but a sword. And, you know, I've heard the maxim often said that I would rather be divided in truth than united in error. I've heard another person say that God is a divider, Satan is a uniter. And the reference there was at the Tower of Babel. The Satan used his influence to unite all the people to build the tower while God came down and divided the languages to keep them from doing these things. Now, there is a unity, but it's a unity among the brethren, and we're to be united in the truth of God's word. We've talked about this in the past. It's what our whole first episode of our podcast, the first podcast we ever did on Courts Correction Radio was about true unity versus division over stupid things. Now, there's good division. There's there's bad division. We've talked about that in the past as well. Now, I'm ranting a little bit here, but here's the thing about it is we go back to that quote played at the beginning of this segment. That's what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Now, here's the simple thing about it. The Bible tells us that God is love, and that's in 1 John. But 1 John also tells us that if we love Jesus, we should walk even as he walked. And people say all the time, well, Jesus never taught on on um, homosexuality or anything like that. But here's the thing. Jesus said that marriage was between one man and one woman. So in that, and yes, they were talking about divorce at the time, which is interesting that that's what that's what this whole that's what this whole thing with Joshua Harris came about with. But Jesus taught that in when talking about divorce, he talked about marriage and it defined it in a bunch of things. It decries same-sex marriage, it decries polygamy where a man is married to more than one wife and um it decries multiple wives at different times, Jesus says the only biblical definition for that is for divorce is uh, is unfaithfulness, right? So, and there's other places you can get into with that, like with unfaithfulness, like with abuse, things like that. And, um, you know, I'm definitely not the person to talk to about that. That would be more down my wife's alley. Um, she could definitely give a whole lot better of a story on that than I can. So, but here's the thing is, people look at it and they say, well, Jesus never black and white taught on the subject, but we have to use our brains a little bit. See, 
if we know our Bible the way we should, we know that Leviticus says man shall not lie with man. It is an abomination. Man shall not lie with a beast. It is confusion. So there's things that the Bible says. There's things Jesus talks about where he talks about marriages between one man and one woman. So we know that everything else is clearly not biblical then. And there's another place we know this because Jesus said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets I come not to destroy, but to fulfill. And they, that's where most people stop. But it goes on to say, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, until heaven and earth shall pass away, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So we can know right then and there that everything before Matthew still applies everything that God said so Jesus said if you love me keep my commandments one of those commandments is to be marriage is to be between one man and one woman and I'm not saying if you've ever had a divorce or if you ever used to be gay that you can never go that you can never be saved or you're going to hell that's not what I'm saying I'm saying that we must all repent of our sins regardless of what it is, and then we can accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, and we have been made new. Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Everything else, our past has been blotted out once we have repented and accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ. So I just want to get that out of the way right there. So let's go to the next story. All right, this one, I'm genuinely losing my faith. Hillsong worship leader rejects Christian beliefs. Now, this is Marty Sampson, and this happened back in, this was uh, almost almost two years ago. This was uh, August 13th, 2019 is when this was written. Marty Sampson, a worship music writer, singer, and active member of Hillsong, has publicly denounced his faith on social media. His announcement comes just weeks after well-known Christian author Joshua Harris announced his departure from Christianity, both sharing their news over Instagram. Sampson, who has notably written songs for Hillsong Worship, Hillsong United, Delirious, and Young and Free, shared a now-deleted post to Instagram explaining he is, quote, losing his faith. The following is a transcript of the post from Relevant Magazine. Time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't, and it doesn't bother me. Like, what bothers me now is nothing. I'm so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. This is a soapbox. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? Ooh. Mm. Isn't it funny how it always comes back to that? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I'm not in it. I am not in anymore. I want genuine truth, not the, quote, I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I am keeping it real. Unfollow if you want. I've never been about living my life for others. So let's just stop right there. Let's address some of these things. 
Do preachers fall? Yes. Do we put our trust in man? Absolutely not. We don't put our trust in man. Man is a fallen man is a fallen power. You know, man is man is mortal. Man is finite. Um so and there's a scripture and it's not coming to me. But there's a scripture that talks about that. So um why is the Bible so full of contradictions? So just for time, I'm not going to get into this one, but if you guys want to know some of the apparent contradictions and what there actually is or is not, and there's not any contradictions, there are what is called apparent contradictions, I recommend heading over to Truth Radio Show. Dan has actually handled this all in an episode, and he just lays it out. So if you want to see that, you want to do some more in detail, it's more of a jumping off point, head over to Truth Radio Show and just look up Bible contradictions, and you should be able to find it pretty easily. All right, so let's talk about this one. How can God love yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? So here's the thing. The Bible says that it is God's will that none should perish, but God loves you enough to let you make your own decision. God doesn't want to twist your arm into loving him. That's not love. That's abuse, and God is not abusive. God wants you to make the decision to follow after him yourself. All you simply have to do is accept the free gift of Jesus Christ, and then through that love, you will keep his commandments. That doesn't mean that you're going to do every single commandment perfectly, but you're going to hide them in your heart. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, right? So, I mean, there's, I mean, these guys, these, these are, these are straw man arguments, Christians can Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. I, I agree, but we can't just throw around the term Christian arbitrarily, right? So Christians, there's a lot of people that call themselves Christians, but that doesn't mean that everyone is. So let's go to the next one. So this is Rhett and Link, probably some of the more pop. I mean, they're very, very popular on YouTube. So Red, Red Flags and Rhett and Link's Deconstructed Christianity. So, celebrity YouTubers Rhett McLaughlin and Link Neal have caused a few waves following their collective decision to abandon the Christian faith. The two men, known for their daily Good Mythical Morning broadcast, have over the last few years gone through what they have described as their, quote, spiritual deconstruction. After having spent years in young adult ministry, Rhett and Link now call themselves, quote, hopeful Agnostics. Their shift away from Christianity, though, raises a few red flags, especially given so much of it seems to hinge on their own experiences and desires to embrace the LGBT community. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? This week, Faithwire managing editor Dan Andros discussed some of the concerns with editor Trey Goyne Phillips. Both Goyne Phillips and Andros. Com- commended the comedy duo for their willingness to talk so transparently about what is sure to have been a difficult and challenging process that, though, didn't, didn't ease their concerns over how much emphasis Rhett and Link seem to be putting on their feelings. Well, we understand that we're not the first people to grapple with these sort of questions, said Andros, noting Ecclesiastes 1-9, which says there is nothing new under the sun. In one interview, Rhett argued that if Christianity is true... 
quote, it should be able to withstand investigation and inquiry. Goyne Phillips, is re- in response, pointed out that Christianity has been around for 2,000 years and remains the world's largest religion, so it has withstood challenges and investigations. Quote, as believers, we should take comfort to know it's not new. He said, it's not like God was all of a sudden blindsided by the fact that people are struggling with their sexual orientation or that some people have gender dysphoria. None of this is brand new. It's been around for years and years and years. And see, here's the thing about it. This is, so number one, it's a heart problem. It's a sin problem when we're dealing with things like this. But then again, and this will probably get me uh, get me a red flag on YouTube but hey, that, that it, it is what it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let them dictate what's truth. The simple fact of the matter is, is gender dysphoria used to be a mental health issue, and now all of a sudden, the whole world has a mental health issue. So what was once mental health issue is now apparently some sort of relative truth. So it says you can watch the rest of the discussion there, but. It all comes back to we have this embrace of this this community, right? And I'm not throwing hate at anybody. I'm simply saying that it's interesting that it comes back to this because it all goes to the quote, the problem with the Christian church is we don't know who God is. And God, the Bible says God is love. Now, we know that our love to him is, is manifest through our obedience, so we don't have to understand why God says something. We just have to know that God has it in our best interest. And people don't want to hear that. And that's fine. I mean, if you don't want to hear it, maybe this channel's not for you. I hope you'll stick around, but I don't I mean, I'm not going to twist your arm. You either believe the word of God in its entirety or you believe none of it. If you're going to question parts of it, just go ahead and stop calling yourself a Christian and just be done with it. Just throw the whole thing out. Stop wasting. If you're going to believe only part of it, you're really wasting your time is what I'm trying to say. So let's go on to the next one because we just want to cover these quickly because it's, 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 a, it's a thing. I t- keep telling people it's like the sleeper cells of Satan are coming fully alive. Author, former Desiring God contributor, former philosophy professor at Moody Bible Institute, I think that's a big problem here, is philosophy. And Trinity Evangelical Divinity PhD grad Paul Maxwell. Now look at those accolades. Not knocking him, that's incredible, but uh, the focus is on the wrong thing here. Announced on Instagram last week that he is, quote, not a Christian anymore. Almost in tears, Maxwell shared that he believes the Internet has done a lot of damage regarding relationships, connections with people, and that he is ready to connect with people again. The trauma of doctrine, new Calvinism, religious abuse, and the experience of God author told his social media followers that he is ready to not be angry anymore. He said, I love you guys, and I love all the support and friendships I've built here referring to on Instagram, I think it's important to say that I'm just not a Christian anymore, and it feels really good. I'm really happy. I'm really happy. Quote, I can't wait to discover what kind of connections I can have with all you beautiful people as I try to figure out what's next, Maxwell said. I love you guys. I'm in a really good spot, and it's probably the best spot of my life. I'm so full of joy for the first time. 
I love my life for the first time, and I love myself for the first time. See, what's happening there is there's a burden that sin places on us, and that burden is there for a reason. It's to let us know that we can't do this alone. But if you throw out the Bible, if you throw out the law of God, well, all of a sudden, you know, you've embraced madness. And when you've embraced madness, you're convinced that everything is just fine. Now, here's the dangerous part, because we know that once we throw off the faith, a swift and sudden destruction will be next. And so I pray that if there is any hope left, that these brothers repent and turn from their wicked ways. Maxwell joins others, well-known Christians, John Steingard from the band Hawk Nelson, I Kiss Dating Goodbyes author Joshua Harris, and Hillsong's worship musician Marty Sampson, who have recently said they renounce or are losing their faith. So, in 2019, after Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson's made the announcement they were no longer Christians, lead singer for the Christian rock band Skillet, John Cooper asked, what is happening in Christianity? Cooper said that he is shocked by how unashamed these leaders seem to be as they denounce, as they announce they are no longer Christians. He observed that they are essentially saying, I've been living and preaching boldly for 20 years and led generations of people with teachings, and now I no longer believe it. Therefore, I'm going to boldly and loud, loudly tell people it was all wrong while I boldly and loudly lead people into my next truth. Why be so eager to continue leading people when you clearly don't know where you are headed? It just goes back to what Jesus said, blind guides. You know, that's what he told the Pharisees, blind guides. You'll go, you'll go all over the earth to get one follower, and you'll make him twice the child of hell that you are. See, the, the, the book of First John tells us that these people came from us, but they're not of us. And, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that referenced by people that were commenting on various different things like this, but it's true. It's true. God allows this to happen so that way his real kingdom can be made manifest. See, what we have is we have the wheat and the tares are finally being separated. And that's why it's important. If you have not watched the Doctrine of Christ series and the DOC that they did on the wheat and tares, watch it. Because all of this will make perfect sense. So, I highly, highly recommend if you are a new follower of Jesus, and you're wanting to know a great way to learn his teachings in a topical presentation, I recommend that you go to the Doctrine of Christ series, which can be found on the Jimmy Vision YouTube channel. A link will be in the description. And I hope and pray that it blesses you. So we're a little over 25 minutes on this one. So we're going to take another break And we are going to come back for the third and final segment where we dig through the scriptures to see what it has to say about these and how we can apply that to our lives and make sure that we are firmly planted. So let's go right over here and we will get into that. We'll be right back on the Apostate Report. Stay tuned.
All right, while we're at the second break, just wanted to reiterate, make sure you check out the Doctrine of Christ series. If you are interested in learning about the Doctrine of Christ and the teachings of Jesus on a topical basis, you can head over to the YouTube channel, Jimmy Vision, and they're all there. You can also check out FOJCRadio.com, and you can find all of the links to um, the Doctrine of Christ and all their other teachings right on their homepage. also want to give a shout-out to Annie over at Shake and Wake Radio and just say thank you for allowing us to be a part of the ministry you are doing there. Guys, if you want to hear several good radio shows that are both edifying and will give you the truth like you won't hear it in the church, make sure you head over to shakeandwakeradio.com. All right, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Apostate Report. So, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get right into this. We're going to come down. We're going to share this. So, here's where we're going to start. We want to look at... We're going to be expounding upon part of the doctrine of Christ that has to do with this. And understand the reason that we want to do the doctrine of Christ. And if you've been following this channel for any amount of time, you know that... I bring up this verse a lot, but for newcomers who may not understand why the doctrine of Christ is so important, this is 2 John verses 9 through 11. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to come up here, and we are going to go to Matthew chapter 13. This is what we're going to do. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into his ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed some seeds, fell by the wayside, and the fowls came up and devoured them. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith sprung Forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears? Let him hear. The disciples came unto them and said, Why speakest thou unto them? Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But it is not given. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall it be given, and he shall have more abundance. 
But whoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. So, essentially what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with people that have true faith, and to them shall be given more, which is where we see where the fruit comes in, right? But to those that don't have, but think they do, it shall be what they do. The little they do have shall be taken away. And I really think, I really think that's what's happening here in these scenarios. So he says, therefore speak I to them in parables because they sing not and hearing they hear not. Neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. So here's the thing about it is, part of what could be going on is these people read the Bible. And so let me give you a little bit of a background about myself real quick. So I was very much involved in this seeker-friendly movement that we've been looking at. So, by the way, every single one of these, maybe with the exception of Paul Maxwell, I'm not sure about him, but every other one has come out of what is known as the seeker-friendly or the seeker-sensitive movement. And so essentially what that movement is is it is left up to the non-believer to choose how the church service goes. You are You're trying to get the... You're trying to get the unbeliever in church by any means necessary, whether they be biblical or not. And not to say that. Um, so basically, it, oh, you like you like uh, alternative rock? Well, we'll use this. We'll use this style band. Or you like you don't like hearing about sin being preached? Oh, well, we'll 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 make it more of a motivational speech. Things like that. So. Um, and I think many of you may be familiar with that, but for those who don't, this is, I was involved in a, in a movement like that. I was a worship leader and I would sit down and read my Bible every day or tried to, there's a lot of days I didn't, don't get me wrong, but I remember talking about every day that I tried to sit down and read it, I would be lost. It was just so confusing. I didn't know what any of it meant. Until finally one day I was praying and I was fasting. And I said, Father, I want to know who you are. I don't want to know who you who people say you are. I want to know who you yourself say you are. And this is the only time in my life I have heard the audible voice of God. And he said, if you want to know who I am, you need to start at the beginning. You need to start at the beginning. Makes sense. You start with the beginning with any other book, right? The first book of Moses called Genesis. So, but I was a part of this movement. And everything is so watered down. You can't, you physically cannot. And then I'm sure there's people who are. But it's by the it's purely by the grace of God that they know who God is because you cannot know who God is in this movement. They have made it impossible. They've made it impossible. And so hearing they hear and they don't understand. And seeing they see and shall not perceive. Have you ever tried to take somebody who is a is in in the churchianity movement and have you ever tried to explain to them what the bible says and they just get this glossed over look like it's like 
they have no idea what's going on. And that's why you have to be, especially with truthers, truthers will talk about things. Oh, there's this. You've got these truthers that fall into this Q movement, right? Oh, trust the plan, trust the plan. But then you try to tell them something about it or the Bible or anything like that, and it just glazes over because you cannot be red-pilled until you've been red-lettered. Do you know what I mean? The the doctrine of Christ is written in red letters. You cannot know the truth until you have the doctrine of Christ. And that is how hearing you will understand and seeing you will perceive. He said, for this people's heart, this is verse 15, for this people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing. And their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now what he's talking about here is the Pharisees that have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit by saying that Jesus cast out devils by Beelzebub. So they're not allowed to hear anymore. We covered this. We've talked about this multiple times on this channel. But blessed are your eyes, verse 16. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into the stony place, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation and persecution ariseth because of the world, and by and by he is offended. He also that received seed among the thorns. And I think this is where everybody that we have talked about on this list, I believe this is the category that they fall into. Verse 22, he also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and care and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth he received the seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So, and then he goes on to tell the parable of the wheat and the tares. Now, here's what we're going to do. We want to look at this because I do not believe that it is a coincidence that Jesus said this first part. He says... When one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. Now, the devil was compared here to a a bird, right? So let's go, let's see, where do we want to go first with this? Let's go to, um, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Just let's let's see if we can start this as early as possible. Because before we do that, before we click enter, this is what I want us to focus in on. On this part.
one that heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not. Right? So check this out. Deuteronomy 28. We'll head over here now. This is a long chapter now. So basically the first half, if you're not familiar with this chapter, the first half is the blessings for those who are obedient. The second half is the curses for them that are not. So this is where it starts in verse 15. But if thou shall, if, if it, it, but it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments and the statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Cursed shalt thou be in the city, and cursed shalt thou be in the field. Cursed shall be thy basket and thy store. Cursed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy land and increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Now you come down here to verse. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust from heaven. Shalt it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. The Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth and thy carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth and no man shall fray them away. So, and the reason I say that is so we have this thing about the carcass for the meat, right? So you're left to the birds. And so one who hears the word and understands it and is planted in the good ground, we saw that they bring forth fruit. But one that doesn't understand it is left for the birds. So you have that. So let's go next to Ezekiel chapter 17. I thought this one was interesting too. All right, and the Lord, word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had diverse colors, came into Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. Now, if any of you guys watched last week's Midnight Ride, you'll know the cedar came up quite a bit in its relation to fallen angelic powers. He cropped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. Now, this is interesting, a city of merchants, because if you are familiar with the book of Revelation, the city of merchants is actually Babylon, and that's going to come up later. He, verse 5, he took all the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, and the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs. There was also another great eagle with great wings and many feathers, and behold, this vine did bend her roots toward him, and they shot forth her branches toward him, that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches, that it might bear fruit, that it might be a goodly vine. Say thou, thus saith the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof, and cut off the fruit thereof, that it wither? It shall wither, and all the leaves of her spring, 
even without great power, or many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. Ye behold, ye behold, yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither? When the east wind toucheth it, it shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Know ye not what these things mean? Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem and hath taken the king thereof and the princess thereof and led them with him to Babylon. And he hath taken of the king's seed and made a covenant with him and hath taken an oath of him. And he hath also taken the mighty of the land that the kingdom might be based, that it might not lift itself up, but that by keeping of his covenant, it might stand. But he rebelled against it, against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt that they might give him horses and much people, which, by the way, is against the law of God. He said not to get horses from Egypt, but that was one of the things that Solomon did, even though he was told not to. It goes on to say, Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that doeth such things? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? As I live, saith the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwelleth that made him king, whose oath he despised, and whose covenant he break, even with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty arm and great company make for him in the war by casting up mounts and building forts to cut off many persons. Now, see, what's interesting about this is you come up here. And so later in the book of Ezekiel, you'll read about a guy named the Assyrian. And it says that the Assyrian was a tall treater, a tall cedar in the garden of God, right? And it says he took the highest branches of the cedar, right? And he planted it. He cropped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. He took also the seed of the land and planted it. In a fruitful field, he placed it by great waters, and it set it as a willow tree. So we talk about the seed of the land. Now, I'm done now. this is what I'm seeing here. So this branch of the cedar came out of the land of Lebanon, right? And so Lebanon, that's, uh, that's Syria. So, so you have something coming out of Assyria. So we have the branch of the cedar, right? The cedar of Lebanon. That's, the, that's Assyria. That's Asher. So then, but we have a young twigs. We have young twigs carried out into a land of traffic. So, right? So that's, uh, that's Babylon. And so we also have a seed of land, and it was planted in a fruitful field by great waters and set as a willow tree. And as it grew, it became a spreading vine. So this is... Israel, right? I am the vine, you are the branches. So we know that when we're in Christ, we are the Israel of God, right? So we have three things here. We have Assyria, we have Babylon, and we have Jerusalem. So, and he says what happens here is it won't prosper because if you come down here, where did it say it? Uh, the king of Babylon has come to Jerusalem and hath taken the king thereof. So this is why they chose not to obey. They chose not to keep all of God's commandments. And it was just like Deuteronomy 
said. So here's an interesting thing. Here's what I want us to see is he cropped off. So he also took of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree. Check this out. So you can come over here and we'll go to the first psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. He le- his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous." For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So that's why I wanted to go here. Look, you're either going to belong to, you're either going to belong and submit to the mystery of godliness, or you're going to, by default, submit to the mystery of iniquity, and it has multiple paths. You can pick Assyria, Babylon, you name it. It's all the same at the end of the day. All right, so let's go over here. So I thought this one was interesting. Oh, whoops. So this is Hosea chapter 8. This is what Hosea 8 says. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel has cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. And their silver and their gold have they made them idols, and that they might be that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, has cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also the workmen had made it. Therefore, is it is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock. The bud shall yield no meal. If so, be it yield. The strangers shall swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria. A wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. Because Ethraim have made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. So, they were counted a strange thing. They didn't understand it. So, that one was too good to pass up. So there's more things we can go into. Um, you know, we could talk about the snare of the fowler. So um, 
And that psalm, you can find that in Psalm 91, Psalm 124. Um, So let's read, but let's do Psalm 91. What am I doing? I'll just do that right here. Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say unto the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. And that is what is going on with the people falling away from the faith. They put their trust in the wrong thing. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence he shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust his truth shall be thy shield and buckler thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday And this is what I want to read to you next. So I'm going to come over here. I was going to pull it up on the big screen, but for whatever reason, on my desktop, Bible Hub is not working. I guess their site must be under maintenance. It is under constant maintenance. So, but let's see this. So, because I really want to, I really want you guys to see this. So this is from a, this is from a Spurgeon sermon called The Snare of the Fowler. It was from March 29th, 1857, and it was on Psalm 91.3. And he says, if Moses had wrote this psalm, he might represent the fowler as being, in his case, the king of Egypt who sought to slay him, or the Amalekites who pronounced upon Israel in the plain when they little expected it. If David had penned it, he might have compared Saul to the fowler, for he himself says he was hunted like a partridge upon the mountains. But we believe if the verse be applicable to either of those cases, it was intended by the psalmist not to have a private interpretation, but to be applicable to all time. And we believe it is spoken concerning the arch enemy of souls, the great deceiver, Satan, of whom we just now sang, Satan the Fowler, who betrays unguarded souls a thousand ways. The prince of the power of this world, the spirit which still worketh in the children of disobedience, is like a fowler, always attempting to destroy us. It was once said by a talented writer that the old devil was dead and there was a new devil now, by which he meant to say that the devil of old times was rather a different devil from the deceiver of these times. We believe that it is the same evil spirit, but there is now a difference in his mode of attack. The devil of 500 years ago was a black and grimy thing, well portrayed in our old pictures of that evil spirit. He was a persecutor who cast men into the furnace and put them to death for serving Christ. The devil of this day is a well-spoken gentleman. He does not persecute. He rather attempts to persuade and to beguile. He is now... He is not now so much the furious Romanist so much as the insinuating unbeliever attempting to overrun our religion while at the same time he pretends he would make it more rational and so more triumphant. 
He would only link worldliness with religion, and so he would really make religion void under the cover of developing the great power of the gospel and bringing out secrets which our forefathers had never discovered. Satan is always a fowler. Whatever his tactics may be, his object is still the same, to catch men in his net. Men are here compared to silly, weak birds that have not the skill enough to avoid the snare and have not strength enough to escape from it. Satan is the fowler. He has been so and is so still. And if he does not now attack us as the roaring lion, roaring against us in his persecution, he attacks us as the adder, creeping silently along the path, endeavoring to bite our heel with his poisoned fangs and weaken the power of grace and ruin the life of godliness within us. Our text is a very comforting one for to all believers when they are beset by temptation. Surely he shall deliver from the, deliver them from the snare of the fowler. And I wanted to read that quote because I want to focus in on what he said. He is a gentleman who tries to persuade and beguile. And make no mistake, whether these gentlemen know it or not, that is exactly what they are doing. They are trying to persuade people to follow after their newest quest for truth. They are trying to persuade people to follow them into the great unknown. Kevin Max went as far as to say if people are feeling like this, he recommends giving into that feeling. Because the God he believes in, some arbitrary, ethereal something out there. I mean, he literally has no concrete value to base it off of because he no longer believes the entire Bible is true. But what he says is that people should, if the God, that he believes that this God, whatever it may be, cares for him and that it would not be bothered by him seeking to discover truth, when in reality the real God, the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, gave us this book right here. This collection of sacred writings as our vehicle for truth. Now, he sent us Jesus before this, which was this entire word made flesh. And so you either submit yourself to the scriptures or you'll find yourself wrestling with them. And so by not submitting, they have become the very net of the fowler himself. But those of us who are seeking after God with all our hearts... We can rest knowing that Psalm 1, let's go back there. Psalm 1 tells us that if we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and we meditate on his law day and night, we shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So, by the way, a tree planted by the rivers of water has a constant water source. It will be very, very, very well fed, and it shall produce fruit in season. So we take that back to Matthew 13, where it says some were planted in good soil. How can you know? How can you, as the new believer, or even the seasoned believer that finds themselves in a situation where you've gotten a little off track, 
and you want to get back on track, how can we do that? How can we know we're being planted in good soil? We know because our delight is in the law of the Lord and we meditate on it day and night. We don't, we're not the man that walks in the counsel of the ungodly. We're not the man that sits in the way of the, in the way of sinners, nor do we sit in the seat of the scornful. By the way, all of that describes Jesus. So all we have to do is follow his example, which is why I said I will leave a description for the Doctrine of Christ series so that you can all follow that. So we are now coming up on, um, I don't know how long it's been, but I know we're well over an hour now. So we're going to end it here. And we will pick up next week, hopefully, with the Likened Unto Moses podcast and the next segment of that, which is going to be um, an elongated segment on, we've talked about Jesus and Nicodemus in the past, but we're going to do a whole entire series or an episode in the series on that. So we'll end that there. Everybody have a wonderful week. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you go throughout and you make disciples for his name. So until next week, in the name of Jesus Christ, be blessed, brothers and sisters. We'll see you soon.